Computer, initialize Holosuite. This month's episode of Beyond Farpoint has a couple of minor audio problems. Sound drops out a couple of times and there's a couple of instances of background noise, which we only became aware of well into the edit. Hopefully this doesn't detract from your enjoyment of the show. Anyway, here's episode six. Welcome to Beyond Farpoint, a podcast where we talk about Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm Jeff Owen, and with me is Baz Greenland. How are you doing today, Baz? Enjoying the barbecue, I believe. Yes, uh, yeah, enjoy, enjoying the weather, enjoying the barbecue in the lovely sunshine in Cardiff. Yeah, I don't blame you. It's, um, it's quite warm here at the moment. Now, in today's episode, we're talking Next Generation Star Trek technology and what can go wrong. However, it's a big topic, so I'm pleased to announce that we've got a couple of guests to help us out today. Baz, would you like to introduce our first guest? I know she's, um, you know her. I, I, I do vaguely know, yes. Uh, it's my wife, Gemma, who uh, was on the our third episode talking about mental health. So Gem's back to talk about technology as well. Hi. Fantastic, yeah. I, I took the day off for that episode, but I did listen to it and I did really enjoy it. So uh, uh, my uh, compliments to you on that episode. Thank you. Okay, and our second guest is someone that I'm thrilled to welcome to our podcast today. He fired the phase cannons on the bridge of the Enterprise NX-01 and is the host of my personal favourite podcast, Trek Ranks. Please welcome Jim Morehouse. Thanks for joining us today, Jim. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm excited to uh, talk some Trek. Pew, pew! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, So... Uh, I think really we should start with a question that Star Trek fans always ask each other. What is your favourite piece of Star Trek technology? And it doesn't have to be particularly about Star Trek The Next Generation. It can be across any of the eras. Uh, let's start with Baz. So it's got to be Holodex. Um, as you know, I'm also a writer and I write books as well. I'm a storyteller and I, I'm, a, I'm a big film boss. So the Holodeck is kind of the ultimate, you know, store, writing stories, creating stories and living in stories. Obviously, they all go wrong, which is what we're going to talk about. But yeah, for me, it's Holodex. Of course, yeah. Holodex would be my favourite as well, personally. I'm a video gamer, have been since the 80s. So a chance to get into a Holodeck and play some of these video games for real, I would jump at the chance. <laughs> What about you, Gemma? Transporters. I would love to just be able to go anywhere. <laughs> I don't think. Particularly when you get as far as discovering you've got the personal transporters and you can just click something that's attached <laughs> to you and go anywhere you like as someone who doesn't have their own transport. So it relies entirely on public transport. The idea of just being able to click a button and even just go to the beach or, you know, go somewhere further away. Let's go to Bali today. Be brilliant in the real world, in the Star Trek universe, you know, just being able to, let's pop down to the planet. Yeah, let's do that. That I would love to be able to do that. I think since I was probably about 15 or so, I'd be like, I want those. I want, (laughs) how do we make those please? Yeah, I know what you mean, and uh, helps for commuting into work as well. Five <laughs> seconds before you do to go in. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Thank you. My shift started. I just um, love that you chose barley and not like the Serengeti or uh, uh, or Paris or something. Well, for us, Paris isn't too far, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true. Good point. Good point. So, Jim, what would you pick? I would. I have to go with practical over. I mean, you guys both picks are great. Holograms. I mean, holodeck, of course. I would never leave, um, <laughs> but I'd have to say I, I would have to think that a that the transporters is right up there. But if I'm not doing transporter, then it's then it's just uh, warp engines and the ability to travel at light speed and actually go somewhere and yeah. explore. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm completely with you on that. Uh, just the ability to be able to see what's out there and. Uh, you know, not have to worry about light speed and the time duration. Right. Yeah, 
but uh, yeah, I'm completely with you on that one. I, and I, I, as I said, I've got to go with holodecks for my personal choice. But yeah. what happens when these go wrong? And that's really what we're going to be talking about. And uh, some of these, we're going to end up with different levels of severity, I think. Because um, I think if you turn your hol- uh, if your holodeck goes wrong, you're pretty much talking about normally the same as if your Xbox broke down. <laughs> but we have seen things get a bit more severe on on Star Trek when the holodecks break down. They break down a lot. Yeah, exactly. Um, do, do you want to start on this one? Yeah. So okay, we were going to talk about some. Uh... Certainly, uh, some big next-gen episodes talking about tech failures, and I think Hardex absolutely up there. Next-gen, as soon as you introduced the Hardex in that pilot episode, you knew it was going to go wrong at some point. And, of course, there were two episodes in Season 1 where they had, well, certainly the first episode, The Big Goodbye, which we're going to talk about. That was an episode where things go drastically wrong in the Hardex, and it kind of never stops, really. Every There, there isn't really nearly an episode of, of any kind of Star Trek show that has a Hardex where something doesn't go drastically wrong at some point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, we've pretty much seen it across all of that era, Next Generation, DS9, Voyager. Lower Decks has dabbled in it as well. Mm. And we've seen some early holodeck stuff in the animated series and in Discovery. But uh, I think we're going to see some pretty impressive holodeck technology later on. And, of course, Picard has got the holographic crew. Um, yeah, absolutely. The we, they're amazing. The, the Cerritos, the La Serena as well. Yeah, they're, they're pretty amazing. I think I think uh, the actor who played those, he does so so many great roles in there. I think they were my favourite bits of Picard, actually, the holographic crew. Mm. Uh, considering it's the same actor all the way through mm. as well. Jim, what about you? Yeah, I mean, the big goodbyes is right off the bat is is like the first one where you're in it. It's the first time you're really seeing holidays. I remember hearing about them and knowing, and knowing that they, in some of the books and stuff before Next Gen, that holodecks were a thing but then the first time you're seeing it and then something goes wrong and i had no idea i thought it was the greatest thing ever and then it just they kept doing it <laughs> so like, i mean i always think of elementary dear data is kind of is one of the ones i always think of because right i mean right off the bat it's as simple as hey computer make a opponent that can defeat data okay <laughs> computer's now super sentient and about to uh, and taking over the ship yeah. so yeah, I mean, there's always there's always something. Although the interesting thing is that one one zero zero one zero zero one is actually that's it's less the malfunction as more of a trap that's used yeah. as kind of a a, a tinker to um, to to distract them. Yeah, exactly. It's it's used to sort of ambush the senior crew. They get everyone else off the ship, and Picard and Riker then completely seduced by this holographic character who does everything she can to make sure they don't go wandering off the holodeck. And me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think Minuet would probably persuade me to stay on that uh, holodeck right. as well. Right. Ew, is all yes. I have to say to them. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Was there ever a male holodeck character that would have seduced you? No, what no, no. What, about, what about Rex? Sorry? From Manhunt, the bartender, Rex... Manhunt. He he seduced uh, Loxana. Maybe. Remember they get Loxana there and yeah. she's like, the bartender's hitting on her. She has no idea it's a hologram. Oh, vaguely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. no, you know, I mean, she was, uh, Minuet was obviously specifically designed to give, you know, those of you that swing that way, that particular reaction <laughs> and to the extent that just makes the rest of us go, ew, as I said earlier. <laughs> Yeah, when we when we watched that episode, yeah, you said you a lot. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not good. Uh, I mean, obviously, we ended up with what happened on Deep Space Nine. I know we're sort of jumping series a little bit, but you've got Quark's Hollow Suites, Vic Fontaine's later on, and uh, the brilliant episodes in Las Vegas, Bada Bing, Bada Bang, because I, I kind of treat that as the holodeck going wrong as well. But it's, what was it, a jack-in-a-box? Which was designed to give them a new challenge. But I uh, kind of like that as well. Yeah. Well actually DSI has my favourite next year episode, which is Armand Bashir. I think it's a hard it goes wrong episode that is so much fun. As a big Bond fan as well, I think it's a superb Yeah, it's one of ones. Yeah, uh, and I think that is the ultimate holodeck goes wrong story. Um and I don't think it's been topped. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, I think it's the fir- it's like the first time where the everyone's in jeopardy, but they're also a character. They're not. They're also like not themselves. Mm. 
So it's it's really really smart. It's so well done. Well, it was I know chosen recently on uh, by one of your guests on DS9's High Concept episode. Oh, that's right. Well. That's right. I knew it would come up recently. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. Should we go to the transporters? So many issues of transporters. It's just, just, as, bad, just as dangerous as all of us. I guess the concept of transporters, they only had this debate a lot in Star Trek a lot, don't they? About, you know, do you, what happens when you go through a transporter? Do you actually, do you eventually kill you off and, and regurgitate you? In, in kind of essentially, and it's like, you know, it's, um, it's an interesting debate, you know, what comes out the other side when you go through a transporter? Are you still the same person? Is it, yeah. It's 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 a, such a funny debate. I've always I'm not I am not one of those people that believe that you've died and now you're a whole new <laughs> yeah. person. It's a popular theory, isn't it? Though it's it's the cloning killing machine. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I guess it's hard to argue against it, but I but I will anyway. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just a brief pause, and then you start up yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> just all your atoms well, being pulled apart and then shoved back together, but they're the same it, atoms, so you're the same person. Maybe. It's just like when you turn the TV off and the signal stops, and then you turn it back on, and then it's there again. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same signal. Good. It's the same thing. It's not a new signal. It's not. New, it's a. So that's that's always been. Yeah, my I like that analogy. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I completely agree as well. Cause, and I think the best um, example we've seen of that is Realm of Fear, where you see Barclay's own mm. perspective of it, mm. and he obviously lives through that entire sequence. So you know, there's no sort of unconscious moment. He is conscious all the way through it. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm curious what everyone thinks about that episode. It's a really kind of weird tone, uh, and they and very different because they show that perspective from inside, and then of course the weird coming right at you. <laughs> so, remember those uh, those like protozoa that are inside oh, the stream, yeah. but they turn out they're they're people who are stuck in there and they grab them. It's but, horrible, yeah. but it's a, it's a little bit of a horror, but it's. I don't know, something interesting about it. I mean, it doesn't rank very high on track ranks, but something unique. It's certainly unique. I mean, you can do a lot of body horror with, with transporters, don't you? Um, even go back to the right. original series, you've got your, obviously, obviously the yeah. evil clones, Kirk and that, and um, obviously mm -hmm. going to the movie universe. So you add stuff right back to the beginning, but yeah, there's a lot of kind of body horror stuff, and I guess um, going through all the shows. What I remember, that actually, the most horrific thing is the motion picture with the... Uh, Vulcan first officer who died horribly in that transporter. It's the oh, nastiest, God, yeah. nastiest thing oh, I've ever brutal. done. It's, it's, it's put you off, off transports for life, I think. Awful. <laughs> Stop putting me off and, transports. Sorry. <laughs> I still want yeah. one. Uh, no, it's still the, uh, statistically speaking, it's still the safest way to do it. <laughs> the would say. The safest way but, to assemble uh, your yeah. atoms. You, you, mentioned, you mentioned Enemy Within, so a uh, poor one out for uh for Spock's unicorn dog. Oh, <laughs> oh. That's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, I know we're away from next year a bit as well. But um, I have to. If we talk about transport, I have to bring up justice for two Vicks. Yes, justice oh, for right. two Vicks. <laughs> what was Jay thinking? I, I I know that Jay will cover this at some point. I'm very eager to see what what they. Uh, Think of the episode when, when they get to it, but yeah, poor Tuvik. I was on Tuvik's side the entire way, um, partly because Tuvik was a better character than Tuvok well, yeah. and Tuvik's combined. But I felt. Are we going to have a Tuvik's podcast? Is that what this is now? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Was, yeah. Justice for Tuvik. Just, just remember, there's no right and there's no wrong in this. There's just a choice because <laughs> they're all right and they're all wrong. Yeah. yeah. I, I do wish there'd just been one line in there where they said if you stay as two Vicks you're going to die or something along yeah. those lines no because then we wouldn't be talking about yeah. it 30 <laughs> years later uh, yeah, yeah, they, did, they took the hard way out and it's impressive yeah yeah, yeah. completely it's agree. impressive well that's going to but be that fun. is the be that is but I mean honestly that's the single best transporter accident episode yeah I agree. just because yeah. it's so it's so polarizing mm -hmm. yeah and it's got us talking 25 yeah. years after the episode it's, it's incredible but one thing I do quite like about the transporters though is when you first see well not when you first see them chronologically when they first appear in Enterprise you can tell that the crew just doesn't trust them 
um, the very first moment they said, oh, there's a transporter on board, and they said, oh, it's been approved for organic transport. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. I said, what, what, do you mean, like, vegetables and fruit? And said, no, like, um, armory officers and engineers. <laughs> Great line. And that you can tell even throughout the four years of that series, they still don't trust it by the end. That's a really good point to bring up because it was like three episodes in, uh, in Strange New Worlds, the episode, mm. when the when they had to beam that guy up in the storm. Mm. And when they beamed him up and he had all the plants like <laughs> yeah. stuck oh, yes. inside him, I, I thought he was dead. I was like, oh my God, that's <laughs> horrifying. Yeah. So it turns out he survived at the end, but that was... Uh, that was really that was really smart the way they did that, showing it that tra- that that technology early on. It's funny that we mentioned two Vicks and the Enemy Within. I always think of those two episodes as being the complete opposite of each other as well. One person split into two, and then two people split into one. They're definitely two of the best ones, and of course, Second Chances duplicating Riker. Uh, because that that was caused by a transporter accident. Uh, well, transporter malfunction, wasn't it? Well, he, he gets stuck in the transport, doesn't he? So he's almost like he's, he is he is transported, but also part of him is left behind. Was it like a, a copy of him is left in the uh, transporter buffer as well? I, I thought he reappeared um, on the planet and then thought he was stranded there um, and didn't realise. Oh, that maybe that's it, yeah. The, the, beam, the beam got... There was like some kind of barrier around the planet that was starting and and it hit right when the beam was going through it so it got duplicated and half of it got bounced back down to the planet and half finished up yeah that's right so they ended up with two of them so yeah. but now he's bringing that up I, relics is a good one too because that's mm. one of the best transport uh, that's one of my favorite things about relics is how they bring scotty back yes with, of course the miracle worker yeah. figures out a way to put himself inside a transporter uh, buffer for 80 years and you know brilliant plan but but not for poor old franklin who uh who didn't make it i was gonna say yeah because you still got the transport and malfunction side of it there whereby scotty survives but franklin doesn't so yeah i wanted to bring up as well an episode that we wanted to talk about with this one which which is the next phase which i think yeah that that is another great transporter one it's Um, one of my favorites yeah Yes. What about you, Jim? What's your take on the next phase? Yeah, I love the next phase. Only for mostly for the the heart of it and the and the and really the way that they the ending is just so powerful. I just think they do it. It's such it's so well done. Where they're about to go to warp and they're like, No and they're trying to flood the ten forward with chronotons. I I just think they do a really good job with the uh with the emotion and uh, and structure of the storytelling on that one and the and the combination with the romulan it's the first time we kind of really get that romulan singularity as part of their warp core uh knowledge so really, really unique it's a fun one yeah what, what about you Gemma? do you do you remember that episode yeah no I, I like that episode i think the uh the first thing that came to mind as we were kind of re-watching that was just a little thing was that right at the beginning when the Romulan ship is in trouble and Data's down on it and, and they get him to uh, shut the doors that are come, that are trying to, the, what, the warp core, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, sort of the explosion, trying yeah. To stop the, yeah. And if he hadn't been there in that moment, if there'd been any other crew member, everybody would have died. 75 people would you know, 75 Romulans and a couple of crew members and it never acknowledged it's just oh this is what Data does now and they, they never mention oh yeah by the way well done Data for saving you know 75 people but uh, that's a good point and it's just, it just sort of popped into my head as I know it's kind of a sideways thing of the episode but yeah I'm kind of, oh yeah there was the scene where Ro is still trying to figure out what's going on and she hasn't quite worked out her physicality yet but she thinks that she can move through things and so on and she's having trying to have that conversation with Picard and she's talking at him and if it was me I would have put my hands on his shoulders and tried to touch Picard so much earlier in that scene yeah because and I know they do it for dramatic purposes because then Picard ends up walking through her, 
and thought, oh yes, she's definitely out of phase. But it just didn't make psychological sense to me that you wouldn't go, hello, I'm here, <laughs> and, and try and touch them, you know, him in some way or other. And I, I, that, I don't know, it frustrated me a little bit. Ro, in that episode as well, she does the thing where she's got the phaser and shoots Riker through the head and I'm thinking how do you know that isn't going to do anything because <laughs> like Riker comes out the other end with neurological damage or something because <laughs> he's at the phaser beam going straight through his head But I would have loved to see yeah. that, that would have been brilliant <laughs> <laughs> Riker's neurological damage Riker's neurological damage yeah. it, it's such a fun episode though, I mean something doesn't always make sense like why don't they go for the floors they yep. can face through walls, but they don't go through floors. Yeah. And we we're watching and thinking, there's got to be an explanation somewhere. There's got to be an explanation. I, I've, I actually have one. I was just trying to look it up. I've tweeted <laughs> okay. it before. And it's pretty good. But basically, whatever the the chronotons that made them, there's... there's ah, I have to find this and retweet it. But with it, there's a substance in the floors nice. that is that the chronotons have attached themselves to. So they don't fall through the floor. It's just the way that, okay. just the way that they're, the the same reason that they're not, uh, that they're can feel themselves. Yeah. Whatever that particle is, it, it's in it's in the floor of every starship. Right. You okay. guys didn't know that? I thought every, I thought everybody knew. <laughs> yeah. That. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. It attaches yeah. itself to so, the floors as well. Yeah. yeah no, everybody knows. Not that. not in bulkheads, but in floors. Not not in bulkheads or walls yeah. <laughs> or anything else. Just the floors. Of course, it makes perfect sense. But you did see the Romulan run out the bulkhead as well, so who knows? And seats. The Romulan was sitting down in that first scene where they do the big reveal. (laughs) Okay, well, now you've got too far. (laughs) Who's sitting down? Oh, wait, cushions. Cushions. That's the only cushion we saw. (laughs) Yeah, the cushion is made of the same material as the floors. (laughs) Exactly. The carpet, yeah. the carpeting on the walls. Soft so. furnishings contain chronoton particles. That mean, yeah. 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 But it, it's fun, and that whole chase sequence through through deck ten is it, when they're going, they're jumping past the off-duty crew. It's just a lot of fun. So it's a good episode, yeah. Yeah. Really. And um, I, I, we talk about right. I think Michelle Forbes really carries the episode. You know, we, when you get her reflections on the crew and her beliefs and so on, it's um, there's great work there. I, I, I kind of wish. Roe had been more of a main character rather than a recurring character mm. because she's, she's just so good in an episode like this really kind of get into her personality so it was great to see that as well well Kira was meant to have been Roe to mm. start with wasn't she yeah. um, and I would have I would like to have seen that but saying that I'm glad we got Kira in the oh, end oh yeah Kira's uh, one of the best but... characters in Star Trek definitely so I'm really yeah. glad that that episode came on and Michelle Forbes but I always say knowing that that Roe was originally designed to be on Deep Space Nine not that I wish we had seen that. I wish we had, because I'm glad we got Kira, but I wish Ro had shown up mm. on these first. Yeah, that would have yeah. been great, because then you can see them both together yeah. and all that. That would have been cool. And for some reason, yeah. I get the idea that they would have been adversaries and that that would have been really Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> they would have had, there's no doubt the writers would have yeah. been, been <laughs> super cool. Ro and Kira definitely would not have got along. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. Or maybe they surprise us, who knows? You know the whole thing as well, we were talking about the next phase. I kept thinking of the Lower Decks episode, Much Ado About Boimler as well, uh, where Boimler ends up out of phase. Mm. But a great transporter accident. Another great transporter accident, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, is it an accident when Rutherford is the one that engineered it? <laughs> <laughs> Not intentionally. Yeah. Is phase. It's an episode that's been repeated, obviously, Enterprise did it with Hoshi, didn't they? There's an episode, episode where Hoshi essentially goes out of phase to the transporter as well. Mm. And, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. It's, it's, not, I mean, it's not as point. good as this one, as, as the next phase, but it's still point, yeah. But it's, it's mm. the kind of homage. Enterprise, particularly in their second season, did a lot of episodes that felt like next gen classics, certainly. I think this is where they attempt yeah. to do the next phase. I think that's pretty fair. And uh, original series as well, because they touched on a, a few things mm. like um, Babel, um, like obviously they focused a lot on the Andorians and the, yeah. uh, okay, not so much the Tellarites, but uh, they did show up from time to time. And the other one as well, the Organians. What was the episode of Enterprise with the Organians? Area of Mercy. Uh, no, the episode of Enterprise. Oh, Observer Effect. Observer Effect, thank yeah. you. Yeah, love that twist in that episode. And, and going back to Much Ado About Boimler, which is such a great episode, one of my favorites, 
because they have the whole ship of mutants and freaks, and one of them's a half a rascal from because uh, he had a, it was a transporter accident. There was a guy who was like half. Yes, he called himself half a rascal because he was half a little yeah. boy and half a grown man. So. Well, yeah, rascals in the middle he, as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, Rascals is my guilty pleasure episode. We were talking about when Jeff and I first started the podcast, we were talking about our guilty pleasures and uh, in Star Trek Next Gen. And for Jeff, it was uh, Genesis, which we Genesis. discussed in depth recently. And yeah, I think for me, it's um, Rascals. It's it's a lot more silly, but it's a lot of fun too. I would agree. It would, I, I, I've always, it, I've grown to love it over the years and really enjoy it. The, the only thing that takes me out of it is the Klingon, I mean, the Ferengi takeover. Like, <laughs> <laughs> seven seconds it's like this is the flagship guys it's a bit yeah. weird but yeah. but the premise of the kids and they're so all so good and young Roe young guy and I mean that's just fun it's just really, really yeah. well done three out of four of them are good one of them's okay <laughs> what's so, the fourth uh, one y- young Picard not not so great in his what oh I thought he was great I I think I don't know. I think the the other three I think are are amazing, and mm. Young Guinan just blows my mind. But I think oh, so Young Picard, it, it, his dialogue always sounded a bit forced. It was always a bit. And now let's do this. And, <laughs> and I always think he could have grown up to be Kirk rather than Picard <laughs> from the way his voice sounded. Yeah. But I mean, that it, that was a pretty good impersonation. <laughs> but I think. I think that kid's pretty good, though. He's you know he he also played uh, his nephew. Right? Yes, he was good. Yes. It was uh, good in family. family. Yeah, he was better in that actually. Yeah, yeah. Are, are you my nephew, Jean Luc, or something? Wasn't yeah. it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I got to say that I, I did really like though a couple of scenes beyond the card. The um, the seat that he, you're my number one dad. Yeah. In the scene in, in yeah. the ready room with Riker, it's so a lot good. of fun. He's and Picard really trying to get access to. The, the computers, computer. yeah, <laughs> that's so great. And the talking fish, yeah. Let me say that I think the, you're right about the Ferengi. I, I do like the um, whole bait and switch with it's not Klingons, it's Ferengi, but then they don't follow yeah. through with that. I think it's the you have, you have two Ferengi being on the ship, Worf misses and then gets shot. And you're thinking, really, <laughs> if they had a hundred Ferengi on the bridge, you've gone, okay, maybe they overpowered them, but if they have two Ferengi and Worf yeah. loses, it's like, really, that's, that's, it was that's part of the episode, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was one Ferengi with one phaser herding all of the security crew onto the transport. I know. <laughs> what? Surely isn't one of you going to have a go? No? Okay. Yeah. Uh, we'll mean, just I'm... say the takeover had a little bit of shorthand. Yeah. 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 It was pretty quick. They needed to get to the fun part with the kids. Absolutely. I mean, because the thing with that as well is, all right, you've got the captain who's been reduced to the age of a child, but it's not like you haven't got the rest of the senior crew there because... The other people that have been turned into children were a botanist, the bartender, and an ensign. An angry, angry Bajoran. Yeah, okay, an angry Bajoran ensign, but an ensign. <laughs> yeah, you are. I, I, I think you, they do have a lot of fun. I, I like the way they include Alexander in it as well. He's only four. Really, should he really be involved in this high stakes mm. free the ship? But uh... yeah, and from a developmental perspective, they would not be able to ask a four-year-old to do that. But he's yeah. <laughs> Need to be about seven or eight before he could actually do what they asked him to do they obviously grow fast he's 18 in about four years time so it's (laughs) was it um was it your podcast i heard the theory about uh jim whereby because klingons have got the wrath that explains why alexander grows up so quickly because of the time time crystal effect on klingons it's the first time I've heard that. Dan Martin came up with that. It's pretty good. I mean, I never really had an issue with it. That kind of stuff happens all the time on TV shows. It's just, you just kind of expect, expect the, I mean, same with Naomi and others. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, that was pretty good. He said, ah, time crystals. That explains Alexander. <laughs> <laughs> right, right away he jumped on. I think, I think actually, for Ferengi, it's probably one of the better Ferengi episodes in some ways of Next Gen. I, I really like Mike Gomez as Damon Lurin. He's, he feels like a quite a, a ruthless villain uh, for the episode. Mm. Um, even though there aren't enough of them, there should have been 100 Ferengi on the bridge alone, I think. He, as a villain himself, he, he, he's quite quite engaging for the, for the episode. I think that's fair, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, uh, they obviously developed quite a lot with the Ferengi over the course of the seven seasons, and I think Deep Space Nine really helped with Ferengi then for the last couple of seasons of Next Generation, because yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, Deer's Dine is an amazing way to develop the Ferengi into a kind of more available yeah. race. Well, I'm Coming up soon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The one thing that We're... did bug me slightly in this episode was the continual uh, talking about the difference in size. So things like, oh, the Jeffrey's tubes don't feel cramped. And, oh, I, let, let me get little <laughs> steps so I can reach my plant. And these kids are meant to be 12, not 7. And as someone who's five foot two, I stopped growing at age 11. So I, that, if that had been me, I wouldn't have changed in size at all. So I, just, I sit there and watch it and go, no, this doesn't, this doesn't make any developmental sense. Well, my partner Geraldine is a teaching assistant for primary school. And some of the kids there who are in years four, five and six are taller than she is. Yeah, I, had, I, I did the same job and I had kids outgrowing me in yeah year five or so <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of trivia for you baz the actor who plays the young keiko o'brien did you know she's from swansea from, from swansea <laughs> she's that. from swansea yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah i found that out the other day when doing a um today in star trek post about it and i happened to spot that uh, she's originally from just down the road from us oh, is she, she's welsh wow yeah, yeah. That's, that's very cool yeah i, 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 yeah, I know so yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I guess so talking about um, O'Brien and Keiko, I think there wasn't enough done with that. I think there's, there's great work with, I really like the Guinan and Rose stuff in the episodes. Mm. And I like you know, Picard, Picard playing like Riker's son and that. But I think there's no real exploration of what have, what it means to be a child and a mum and a wife. Like, even in the beginning, when, when, when they're losing them, and O'Brien's on the transporter room trying to get them back, he cares, we might lose one of them. No kind of reaction that one of them might be his wife <laughs> at any point during that. And I think there's, there's that one scene addressing that kind of awkwardness, but we don't really get any kind of reaction to the potential of losing his wife and then actually really forgetting him back. And I think it's very much sidelined in the, in the episode. The, the guy the guy himself is great. I mean, Isis Carmen Jones, she played a Whoopi Goldberg character, Dolores, the sister act in the same year, didn't she? So she's so oh. good playing, playing basically Whoopi, young Whoopi Goldberg. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that neither. Yeah, so, so, yeah I, was, I know the episode in the UK came over in 95, so we got it much later, but in the US it was 92, and that was the same year sister act came out. So, yeah. Ice is Carmen Jones. She plays Whoopi Goldberg twice in the same year. I think it's, it would only only be credits actually. So I don't know what else she's, what she's doing if she did any more acting. But uh, on IMDb, she's a young Whoopi Goldberg in, in both in both Star Trek and Sister Act. And as I said, she blows my mind just watching her. That, that's great. the most memorable yeah. thing about this episode. Is if I had to think back to when I watched this originally, when I was what you tell me how old we were. What, Oh, we were 14, 14, 15, yeah, I think, yeah. Um, that's the thing that comes across like, oh, yeah, that was that kid that played Bobby Gogger and she was incredible. Because she has not just the acting ability and the ability to portray the kind of wisdom that you get from Guinan within the child body, but she also has this kind of like gravitas to her voice that mm. just makes her sound and the intonations of her voice sound exactly as you would imagine that Whoopi Goldberg must have sounded like as a child and it just yeah. stuck in my memory hugely yeah well you've got that moment where you've got the young Roe who just wants to carry on doing her duties mm. just basically carry on working and the young Guinan is saying no nah, you're a kid just mm. do kid things jump up and down on the bed so <laughs> you know yeah. it teaches Roe how to be a child because Roe never got to be a child when Absolutely. she was younger yeah yeah, I kind of so, got this idea that Guinan as a character is somebody who has who is so old and has gained so much wisdom through her life that she's managed to almost like come out the other side of, of wisdom and recognise that there's nothing wrong with like dropping the barriers and the boundaries and the social expectations to be able to come back around to like the wisdom of childhood and yeah. just taking on the joys and having no constraints because and that you have to get to how old Guinan is I, I don't know if I, any of you know how old she's meant to be they said her dad's 700 but I don't know how old she's meant to be but that you have to get to that age to come back around again to the joy of let's colour with the blue crayon you know <laughs> yeah I like that I do like that <laughs> Right, uh, I think we focused uh, a lot there on transporters. Um, should, should we talk about the Holdeck episodes as well then? 
So those. Yeah, we briefly touched them, but we didn't uh, we didn't talk about them that much. So let's let's go back to the holodeck because um, there's a couple of episodes that we wanted to mention. Uh, we started talking about the big goodbye. So this is the uh, very very first holodeck failure this episode. Is the first one, yeah. yeah. Though we're saying that the first time we see one seriously, because you do see one in Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah. yeah, it's the first malfunction, yeah. and it's just some kind of like energy surge or something, right? Well, something like wax the ship, and it because they had that. They have at the time, it's really cool. Mm. Now looking back on it, it's like, wait, what? Why did they just beam them out? It, it's really there's a lot. They had yeah. They, they had that moment where. Wesley's like looking in the wall and he's like some like some <laughs> micro thing he's got to find and he's got to go through it one by one otherwise everything and it makes perfect sense until you see 10 more malfunction <laughs> yes. episodes it, it's very quaint isn't it I mean there's 17 minutes before anything happens I think another 12 minutes before they realise the controls aren't working it's like that. that's how long it takes in a 45 minute episode stuff to really start happening and I think because it's the first hard deck episode there's a very much a sense of kind of wonder while this holodeck and the characters reactions to it and it's a lovely kind of you know I, i'm a big film buff and you know see like old film noir style styling in the episode and the costume mm. and the, the costume won an emmy i mean it's really lovingly well done you can tell everyone involved is having a good time doing it but it's not a lot happens and then when stuff does happen you get the thing they iron out the kinks yet because things don't quite make a lot of sense compared to the hundred thousand episodes that follow with project failures i think the best thing about that episode is kind of the the, the conversation about existence mm. and the kind of that ends up happening between picard and the character the cop so, I can't remember yeah. his name. oh the, the cop character right at the end where you've got the moment just before picard leaves yeah yeah, Completely which is agree. interesting because I always, you know, you think about characters, holodeck characters become self-aware. You think it's like as late as far as Vic Fontaine and DS9 that you mentioned, but the idea of, of the very first holodeck episode having a holodeck character almost becoming self-aware that he's a hologram is is kind of interesting to do it kind of that early on. So there's a, there's a lot of things set up here that is replicated time and time again, but um, say a lot mm. of as you mentioned, a lot of things that kind of change because they don't quite work i think at this point like um why is there a real danger of people disappearing if the holiday shut down i couldn't work that one out because <laughs> it's like if the holodeck shut down then surely it's just turning off the holodeck the yeah. living yeah. organism should still be there <laughs> then you've got things like the water leaving the holodeck on wesley's shirt you've got the snow on his yeah, but that stuff's easy because it's it, it incorporates transporter technology too. So sometimes some stuff some stuff's real. It's the water if it if you the water leaves because it's actual water. I've always said that one's simple. That one's just no brainer to me. That, that at the same time as this computer's making all this stuff out of matter, it's making a few things like uh, real. Like I don't mean transporter. I meant. Uh, uh, replicator. Uh, a replicator, yeah. Yeah. like a replicator. Yeah. Okay, so, so yeah, it's just taking a couple yeah. of hydrogen atoms. Exactly. So it's like, hey, if yeah. you if you order if you order a croissant at the Paris cafe, and we'll always have Paris, you're getting a croissant, <laughs> not a holographic <laughs> croissant, and you can walk out with it. Amazing. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'd always wondered about eating something on the holodeck, walking off and thinking, there we go, that had no calories. <laughs> That's the old diet. <laughs> okay, yeah. well you, so you can set that as a setting, right? Yeah. yeah. Put that as a setting. Zero, zero, zero calorie. Holographic foods. <laughs> yeah. And go for full buffet, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want one of everything. <laughs> um, the other thing as well, which is a little bit um, random, is that, I mean, it, it's quite fun and cool to see it happen but why does it take ages for felix and cyrus to vanish once they leave the holodeck there's no instantaneous and they're done <clears throat> they walk out onto the onto the enterprise on the corridor and then it takes a few seconds before they start to uh, dematerialize which uh, again it's, 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 a, it's a nice effect doesn't really make any sense whatsoever in the context of all what we know about the holodeck before and after yeah, considering that we've seen the emergency medical hologram, the doctor from Voyager, mm. just basically poke his hand out of uh, sick bay yeah. on Voyager, and his hand vanishes as it leaves the room. So yeah, it's um, it, it's obviously a change of technology between the Enterprise D and Voyager seven years <laughs> later. Yeah, just enough of a change of technology because they decided it wasn't very nice to the holograms. To allow them to spend those split seconds going, oh my god, we're dying! I like that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. But I think you've described it well, Ben. It's, uh, 
Quinn. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first episode. It's the, the the first one they're having with the with the malfunction, and it's and when you look back on it, it's just adorable. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's I, so I, simple. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot more because season one is very stilted and very dated. I think that's undeniable with the first season of Next Gen. But I actually was pleasantly surprised how much I actually enjoyed the episode. Mm. I wasn't. Yeah, you were. You, you were. <laughs> but then you're, you're not as big a fan, are you, of uh, Holodeck episodes? No, I'm not a huge fan of Holodeck episodes generally. I When I sit down to watch Star Trek sci-fi program, I want to see sci-fi. I don't want to see period drama, sorry. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> there you go. But, yeah, my brain just turns off completely. It really does. Yeah, as we get lots of period drama here in the UK, personally, it's like things like Downton Abbey. It's like, uh, yeah, yeah, what else is on? <laughs> but, uh... If I turned on to watch period drama, fine. But if I sit down and go, oh, right, Star Trek time. Yeah, you know, what's going to happen in space with the aliens and the phasers and... And then, oh, no, right, 1920s outfits and Tommy guns. I... <laughs> <laughs> nope. Just my opinion. So not a piece but... of the action. <laughs> yeah. Not a piece of the action for you then, Jim. No. We're going to put the bag on you, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great, actually, because we can play Fizzbin and she won't know the rules. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> One thing as well about the big goodbye I was going to bring up is it's the first time that we see the holodeck safeties go wrong. Mm. Mm. And uh, they don't actually call them that during the episode. But when, um, is it Waylon? Waylon, yeah. The historian? Yeah, Waylon, yeah. He gets shot and everyone else is going, oh, yes, fantastic, well done. <laughs> and, and so, you know, he's bleeding internally because yeah. of this bullet wound. I thought that was really good. Yeah. But uh, suddenly you realise that things on the holodeck actually could hurt you and kill you. Absolutely. A nice full circle with first contact, which goes back to Dixon Hill using bullets to kill the Borg. It's kind of a nice use of safety controls there as well. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's a real fun moment in uh, in First Contact. Yeah. Like, Whelan was always going to be a red shirt, wasn't he? I mean, he came this random character we've never seen before, this 20th century historian who comes on comes on the holodeck and then, of course, literally gets a red shirt when he gets shot on the chest. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's always, always going to happen. Point. Really Do you know what? Watching this episode back in preparation for this, I hadn't noticed the disappointment in Crusher's face when Picard asks her to the holodeck and she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and Data and Waylon can join us as well. And she goes, oh. You think, she obviously does have a thing for Picard. And I hadn't noticed it in that episode until I watched it earlier this week. Well, I, I can't I, believe yeah, I've yeah. never noticed that. I, I think season one does try and play his whole Picard and Crusher kind of war they won't they thing. And then they drop it right until the seventh season don't they and i love gates mcfadden and i think i love her as crush but I, i'm not a fan of her really in season one like a lot of the actors they were trying to the acting is very stilted and people trying to find the characters they were going to become later on yeah. I, I do find crusher very wooden a lot of season one. i found it quite wooden in this episode as well so one of my favorite moments of that is from we'll always have paris when uh picard's talking to michelle phillips character and they're interacting and obviously know each other and had a past thing and then Dr. Crusher's working in the background on Dr. Mannheim. And she turns around, and he's like, we're old friends. And Crusher just goes, I gathered that. <laughs> <laughs> it's really yeah. good. It's oh. not wooden at all. It's really a lot of tone, a lot of, like, oh. I'm fine with it. I'm realizing it. I'm annoyed. It's all those emotions oh. in, in one quick line. And I think Picard was ready to return the compliment and the big goodbye as well. Where Crusher says, oh, can I see your office? And uh, Picard says, oh, yeah, yeah, let's, I'll show you my office. And then again, in the background, Waylon and Data goes, oh, yeah, yeah, we'd like to come along too. And both <laughs> of them stop in their tracks and go, oh, yeah, that's right, we've got to babysit these two as well. <laughs> <laughs> I do really enjoy Data. I love Data getting into the flow of things, into the uh, 1940s kind of look and sound. The best gag there is when he has the light and he can't figure, he's like, he's, it's working and he... He's moving it and it unplugs and he's like shaking it yeah. trying to figure it out and Waylon plugs it in on the other yeah. side and he's like, oh, I fixed it. He <laughs> has no idea. Yeah, Data's absolutely convinced he's repaired it himself. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we talk about 11001001? I mean, it's, the first, it's just a clever way to use it as a 
as the uh, antagonist, really. Mm. I mean, with uh, Binars souping it up. And I really love how they bring it back with uh, in Future Imperfect as the trigger that where Riker figures out that he's in a simulation when they have Minuet as yeah. his wife. Yeah. It's really, really good. And that's obviously kind of a holodeck thing itself. Uh, not an Enterprise right. holodeck, but Barash's right. holodeck. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say the the whole Minuet thing, I, th- I think it's basically the Riker's perv sex deck, isn't it? It's it's It really is. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is skin corn and cheesy, but also a little bit dull as well, which is, which is there's not actually not really sexy at all. It's again, I, I like how they like the big goodbye. There's that kind of fuse and hot deck. Well, on hot decks, corn, they're amazing, all these worlds you can create, but it it's not very good. It, it's quite it, well, Riker is creepy in this episode, I think, really. He, yes. he's um, the changing of the women to get to the right one. <laughs> Is just so patriarchal and narcissistic, and it, it actually made my skin crawl. Yeah, I wrote down the line that he said as well when he's picking the women, and he mm. goes, "More sultry." And I'm yeah. thinking, what? Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it stands <laughs> out now. Yeah, it's just I I watch that and go, even you know in the the, the year that it was made. Really? Is that is that okay to do? But I, you know, I know they're supposed to be holographic women, but that's still fairly demeaning. <laughs> not good enough. Not good enough. Not good enough. Uh, oh yes, she'll do. And Riker's completely shameless about it as yeah. well because the two binars are still in the background working yeah. away, and it takes them a couple of minutes, and they, you can see them look at each other and think, oh, yes. "We better go." <laughs> <laughs> so. By the way, Picard does the same thing too. Yeah. Picard's yeah. in there hanging out, and he's like, "Yeah, I need to get out of here. I'll give you your private time." <laughs> yeah, but but it's like Ransom says. That's basically what it's for. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Lower decks. I mean, they. It's mostly no wait. It was Mariner who said that. Yeah. Ransom makes her clean, and, and uh, Mariner says, "Yeah, that's basically all." That <laughs> yeah, definitely in quotes, hollow sweets. Yeah, they make it more of a with Quark's hollow suite in DS9. Uh, I think that's right. It's probably, uh, yeah, it's um, I guess it's it's supposed to be all kind of pure wondrous, but yeah, I mean Riker was designed to be the kind of Kirk like character, wasn't he? The kind of the the, yeah. the, the woman eyes and the sleaze, and it and it is it is sleazy and uh, but not sexy in any way. I think that's interesting. I I don't disagree with you on that part. I, obviously, it is the Riker his character he likes that stuff. Yeah. Only defense I will have, I will say of it, uh, because I appreciate what you guys are saying, is that every single person on the ship is doing the same thing. Yes. Yeah, I'll give you that. So yeah. it's it's you know, and the women are doing it, the men are doing it, <laughs> the non-binaries are doing it. So. And and we, and we obviously know Jordy uses it for practice as well. Yes. Yeah. Oh, George. George That's George. a whole nother issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you don't think, start that. Yeah, you think Riker chats in F or trying to change the woman that he likes on the holodeck as being creepy. Geordie making his own girlfriend on the holodeck is oh, yes. much, much worse. Definitely, yeah. Geordie has issues. <laughs> is that booby trapped that episode? But yeah, he makes he make Leah Brahms, doesn't he? And then Leah Brahms turns up on that episode and goes, basically, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Which makes you wonder how the hell they managed to get together by the end of the series, because they're meant to be in uh, married by uh, the time oh, of future all good things, aren't they? Stranger things have happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very true. I tell a real big positive about the episode, actually. I really like the binars. I wish we'd see more of them. I think they're a really, really great concepts, and um, I like the, the split speaking and the, the, the kind of robotic nature of them, and... And obviously the, the content of their planet dying, which is which is kind of really the ultimate argyfile, isn't it? I do like the fact that that's the reason that they've taken mm. the Enterprise to try and repair their planet or repair the computer on their planet. I, I did like that. And I, I did quite like the whole thing as well. They said, well, you could have asked us. Mm. You might have said no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very nice. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> 
going back to it, we mentioned another decent bit of Trek technology earlier on that I personally would love as well, and that is a replicator. I don't know about you as well. Absolutely. Particularly yeah. if it's calorie-free as well. Since there's a man currently on a diet. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, replicator would be amazing. Yeah. That would be it solves world hunger for a start. So even on a, on a, on a bigger yeah. scale, it, it's just it, it's probably the mm. best thing that could happen in terms of like Earth now. If if we could choose to pick a technology, replicators could be it because that would solve so many problems in the world. And it's probably the most realistic one of all the ones we've talked about. In terms I have of, to I mean, disagree with that one. Of the ones we've talked about, yes, of the tech that we've got in the show, no. Oh no no. Yeah. Uh, of the ones we've talked about, though, it definitely is because yeah. 3D printing is kind of a thing now. Yeah. And as mm. as basic as that is, think about what that's going to be in 30 yeah. years. You know, so. But yeah, there's. A, I was actually going to say before, Gemma, right. maybe you're going to say it is. If you if you had asked if we had this conversation 40 years ago, people would say, "Oh, I want to communicate." Yeah. And now no one would say that because <laughs> everybody has one. And we've all um, gone beyond that because we used to I have know. phones and we never use them anymore. Yeah. But our phones exactly. are more like tricorders now. Yeah. But the point is we have instant communication yeah. anywhere, which is what a communicator is. So. And the other thing that's um, still in development, it's been in development for a very long time, but they're getting there slowly, is hypersprays. Oh, yeah, that's a really good one. That's really close. Mm, yeah. In fact, there is some versions of that where it's, it goes through the skin, right? Uh, there, yeah, there's, yeah there's, there's one just starting up, I believe. Um, but, it's, yeah. yeah, it's been in development for a couple of decades now. But, yeah, it's, it's getting there. And, and tricorders, too, where you can kind of scan certain things. Mm, yeah. One thing I know that Trek got it badly wrong on was the pads. Um, Except they didn't. They're not badly wrong. Say the only thing they got wrong is that you needed seventeen of them <laughs> on your desk. That's, but everything it. else with it is unbelievably prophetic. If, you're, if someone's just carrying yeah. around one pad, that was nineteen ninety one. Mm. I mean nineteen eighty nine, and it's they're basically pushing buttons. You're like, what the hell is that? Like that's a thing. Well, now it is. The only thing they get, you know, it was Voyager that kind of doubled down on it with like Neelix coming in with like a crate of, <laughs> got all the data, you got to go through these 32 packs. <laughs> okay, Voyager, you maybe could have predicted that that wasn't going to happen because that was the late 90s. I mean, I do quite like the fact that we've obviously gone to the technology and we just end up with one which will do absolutely everything. Right, of course. But the fact that we call them iPads or whatever is so based on Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no doubt about that. And uh, you know, modern mobile phones, whether you're talking about Android or Apple, you are basically talking about a more advanced tricorder because some of them can do scans and mm. detect things as well. Just yep. plug something in. So, what about the one of the big ones we haven't talked about yet is uh, artificial intelligence too. Well, every time I see one of those robot yeah. dogs, I'm terrified. <laughs> it's gonna happen. Yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna happen, Baz. I think I think we're all gonna be okay, but our kids. Uh... <laughs> well, I saw an article recently about how many years it'll be until our AI is able to take over a certain set of jobs, and you know, depending on the area of work you're in, it's somewhere between like almost now. A couple of years yeah. and about twenty-five for almost everything. Yeah, it's just there's really no doubt that that ability is coming. Mm -hmm. I read recently the I, this is it's always just blows my mind that the Wright brothers' first flight versus landing on the moon mm -hmm. was sixty-six years. Wow! Only sixty-six from years. Plane to landing. So on the moon. To, from from literally just the first time anybody ever succeeded to landing on the moon. So think about this AI stuff. Yeah. I mean, in fifty years from now, I mean, <laughs> it's gonna be a, it's gonna be crazy. And twenty twenty one, obviously, we're in at the moment. It's fifty five years since then, and it you, you know we're almost that far again. And we haven't gone back to the moon, mm. which is crazy. I know, it's, yeah. that's also, that's just sad. But, or Mars. I mean, the reality is we should have figured that out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I hope with all of the private space exploration things coming out that something's going to happen. Hey, Richard Branson got to space recently, so you never know. 
Yep. Every step helps. I was going to say something as well about the AI thing. I'm trying to remember what, what it was. Android, data, Picard. <laughs> the other thing is the, is the consciousness transfer. That's a big sci-fi concept. That yeah. yeah. At some point, that one's going to start becoming a... And whether you believe in the soul, hmm. that sort of thing yeah. as well. Well, it's interesting that Picard went down that route with the with that idea of consciousness and with the and with the kind of the idea of humanity versus artificial intelligence and the kind of the, the terror and the uh, the horror around that as well. So the stuff that, as a rule, I think next gen pretty much played AI as this wondrous thing for the most part. There was there was law and there, so there was there was some issues there, but generally data was this wondrous thing. Then you get to Picard, and you're very much more down the route of these are bad, this is dangerous, and uh, kind of find it bad, which is kind of more of a archetypal sci-fi kind of horror story these days, you know, from like Terminator onwards, you kind of, you do get this idea mm. that AI is going to rise up and, and destroy us, and even even uh, Star Trek's gone into that now as well, which which is interesting. Yeah. Well, that um, was the premise, but they ended up with the, I mean, they, they kind of ended up in the place of, hey, let's, that doesn't have to be the Yeah, future. which is nice, so that's Star Trek, isn't it? That's Star Trek. Which is good, yeah. yeah. And it ended up being, and you know, so, this is, goes back to what are little girls made of in TOS. It, mm. Consciousness transfer into androids on uh, with Dr. Roger Corby, literally yeah. an android, and, mm. and having his consciousness transferred. So it's a big sci-fi conceit. We've seen it in TOS. We've seen it in the Schizoid Man and TNG. Mm. And uh, now we've seen it at the end of Picard. It's a, that's a big one. It's a, I'm... I think that one kind of gets forgotten a little bit. Yeah, I remember what I was going to say. When we talk about artificial intelligence and we talk about things like vehicles, I mean, okay, we've had, you know, you program your uh, shuttle or your runabout to fly itself. And even as a kid, I loved things like Knight Rider, thinking, oh, you know, I'll just jump in the car and it drives itself. And now we've got Google self-driving cars and Teslas driving (laughs) themselves. And... Part of me is thinking, that is so incredible. That is so awesome. We're in the future. And part of me is thinking, do I want to get in that car? <laughs> Has anybody done that? I've never done it or seen no. it. I'm fascinated that that's actually a thing out there. Yeah, self-driving cars. And I'm still blown away by the fact that my car is cruise control. It's the first time I've ever got a car with cruise control. <laughs> and all that is is just keeping the speed the same. But you've got things like lane boundaries and... It's crazy. Um, yeah. Never thought I'd be at that sort of point watching TV back in the 80s, but here we are. It's definitely a thing. I think I would have no... I think I always say that the most dangerous thing you do in your life every day is get in a car. That's statistically yeah. speaking, this is just no... Self-driving car? Sure, why not? <laughs> Can't be any worse. <laughs> Well, there is uh, talk of a motorsport of it, because as you all know, motorsport oh. is my thing. And yeah. there's a motor racing series called Formula E, and they've been talking about for a few years having a support series for that called Robo Race. And I think the Robo Race cars have shown up on uh, TV programs in the meantime. The idea is, is that you're going to have a grid of robotic cars and they're going to compete. No drivers, they're not being remote controlled, there's nothing about them, they'll just basically start the race wow. and these cars will race around a racetrack by themselves. Wow. And wow. I would love to see that. That would be so yes. interesting, to see how the data, I mean, they would get so much interesting data from that, like how they learn and, and they're going to program how they the cars. react. Yeah, they're going to program the cars with different personalities as well, huh? so some are going to be more oh. aggressive, some oh. are going to be more defensive. How oh, interesting! Yeah, when is that a thing that's that's just been sits on the it's on the on paper right now, or is it actually happening? They've got actual cars out at the moment. Um, I just don't think they've got enough to make a grid full of cars. But it's How called Robo, that yeah, Robo Race. Um, it is a thing. It'll definitely happen in the next five years, probably. Yeah, absolutely. The only other one I was going to talk about from a technology failure standpoint, because it was my pick, was was. The warp stuff was uh, for force of nature, where they—I can't even remember what the—that was the one where they decided that you can only go warp five. Oh, the speed because, limit. Yeah, because, yeah, because warp <laughs> was uh, is damaging space, which I thought was a really cool concept, and I like the 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 
climate change analogy and how prescient that was 30 years ago. But obviously they didn't stick with it. So. No, it, it was I, dropped I remember, straight away, wasn't it? They, they, make, they make a mention yeah, of it in one of the next... A couple episodes. of little references, and, and then I just assumed, ah, they fixed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they fixed the engines. Wasn't that why Voyager's engines sort of tilted? Sure, to, sure it was, yeah. Jeff. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to save the fabric of space or something. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember I saw um, the late Richard Arnold at a convention right back when Force of Nature had just been done. And he went, yeah, they've made this episode and they're kind of already regretting it because now they've put a limit on themselves for the mm. rest of the series. And I think he said something along the lines of they're already trying to figure out how to undo that. I mean, they've done that on many topics. So this, uh, <laughs> I actually like that episode. So I'm in the vast minority. I mean. It's an interesting concept. I think it was, it was how enforceable it was. And I think like, DS9 and Voyager just ignored it. And um, Voyager did it from afar anyway. And DS9 had a war to contend with. So they could, they had ways of dealing with it that maybe that way. Right, but of course. There, there's, it, was, uh, there was, it was too restricting. Yeah, but there, there was no mention. Next Gen had that in a couple of episodes. I think Pegasus is one where they mentioned you're authorized to go to Walk Nine or wherever it was. But apart from that, they uh, they don't they don't really mention it at all. And they say don't mention the movies. So it's just a forget that one and move on, I think. Similar one as well is when they try and find a different way of doing it in the episode New Grounds, where you've got that oh, wave. Yeah. The Soliton waves. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, if you send a ship off and you've launched them using the Soliton wave and you've got nothing to catch them at the other end, then that ship is stuffed because they will never <laughs> be able to slow down and return to normal space. Because the idea was you'd get one side of it that would launch the ship across space and something on another planet at the other end would then catch it and then slow it back down to normal speed. But if there was nothing there to catch it, you've just consigned that ship to destruction. Yeah, That's a good shout. I like that episode too. But the, the, I like the ones where they talk about different ways to... Mm -hmm. uh, different different uh, mechanisms for warp yeah. Was it maybe speed. all around the warp 5? Was it perhaps an attempt to reconcile with the episodes where... They would choose a lower speed for no particular reason. <laughs> so, well, we've got to get a really long way. Let's go at warp two. Why? <laughs> Why aren't you going at warp eight on that? Conserving their dilithium crystals. <laughs> for... It's always funny, like, whenever they say, uh, uh, warp seven, we can get there at X, I'm like, then go 7.2, yeah. you'll be there now. <laughs> <laughs> just like let's just change it up today i'm yeah, feeling yeah. in a six mood that's a that's one of my favorite star trek tropes yeah that never because literally because the way the scale is if you're going 7.2 it's going to take you like six hours yes go 7.4 there you go <laughs> Why don't they travel at Warp 9 all the time? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> so funny. Having lizards. come up with such a, a like... Lizards, yes. Sorry, having come up with such a kind of almost scientifically based reason for, okay, you can't go past Warp 9, so they've given themselves a boundary, and that makes a lot of sense, then after that it just all falls apart. And you're just like, okay, well, th there's our limit, but why aren't you going at the speed limit, you know? <laughs> What I was going to suggest as well, we're stepping outside of Next Generation again, and the one thing I couldn't wrap my head around, and I've seen this film loads and loads of times, is the moment where the warp drive becomes the wormhole in Star Trek The Motion Picture, because they oh, end right. up yeah. in the warp field with something, and that black suddenly hole. ends up... Maybe. Was it a black hole? I, I thought it was just a rock or something that oh, had fallen know. into their walk. Yeah, I was like, yeah, it, I've seen it 70 times and I still don't understand what's happening. <laughs> Motion picture is pretty to look at and I'll kind of leave it at that, I think. I mean, I love it for what it is. I, when I saw it in the theatres and I was 11 years old, but... I think yeah. I would have loved to have seen it in the cinema, to be fair. Yeah, I... Um, it, it's Fire it's... torpedo! <laughs> Be laid out <laughs> <torpedo>. <laughs> I, I, I guess good stuff. Yeah, going on this whole idea of warp travel and speed, I guess at least he's baked into the premise that Voyage did attempt to try things out. He always went horribly wrong. They crashed on nice planets, they turned to lizard people, you know, things yeah. happened, but at least Voyager did the kind of explore, you know, trying to try to find new ways of uh, moving faster to get home so there was i guess on on that show there was mm. that was an attempt i think 
I think by the time you get to Discovery, they are going faster and farther. They certainly in different ways. Agreed. I love all those stories. <laughs> yeah. Incongruities be dang <laughs> <laughs> If it's consistent in the show, then that's fine by me. If I can explain it with one line of techno babble, it's fine by me. <laughs> and believe me, I can do it. One line of techno babble is sometimes all it needs as well. <laughs> right. Anyway. I'm sure we've barely scratched the surface of the pros and cons of Star Trek's technology. I think Baz and Jem want to get back to their burgers. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to get back to my breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, that's right. Um, there, is a, there is a time difference between us at the moment. Uh, that's why we need a transporter, so you could have yeah. come over and we could have all enjoyed the burgers. It we could have done that. Anyway, thank you, Jim, for joining us today. Where can the listeners get hold of you? You can find me at TrekRanks on Twitter, where it's my podcast about all the things we love about Star Trek. And you can also find me at Enterprise Extra on Twitter. I'm on Twitter a lot. I talk a lot about Star Trek on Twitter. And I can highly recommend two episodes of Trek Ranks. One was about corridors, <laughs> uh, scenes in corridors, and one was <laughs> abstract threes for no reason. Two great, great episodes. <laughs> TrekRanks.com. You can find us. Yes, absolutely. Baz and Gemma. So you can find me at Baz Green on Twitter and then chatting on Beyond Farpoint as well. And also you'll find me on another podcast over at We Made This Network as well. There's not really the yeah. thing, is there? Gemma, you're not on Twitter? Get on Twitter, Gemma. Do doesn't get <laughs> Twitter, I think. No, I it's the best for Star Trek. <laughs> I did have a quick look to see if I could find a Twitter, hand, Twitter handle for you there, Jim, but I, I failed. You, I mean, you can, but it's my, it's my work one, which has nothing to do with this. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well enough. Right. Uh, you can also get hold of me on NCC underscore 17 Formula One. Um, and you can also look for the Nexus, our Facebook group, where you can chat about not just our podcast, but any podcast on the Holosuite Media Network. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to Beyond Farpoint if you're not already, and please give us a five-star review on whatever podcast you've used to listen to us on. We'll see you on the next episode where we'll be talking about the early episodes of the Ferengi. Mm. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you all, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Cheers. Let's see what's out there. Engage. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Blast Shield, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I think we all thought Ransom was going to go into that fight scene, thinking that it was game over before it even started and he was going to lose. But I think the moment he rips his uniform off, (laughs) which is hard anyway to rip a shirt, but to rip an actual like jacket like that, Mm. pretty impressive. And then he had like, about, I don't know, I think it was like 62 abs. He just looked ripped. And then he was just like, you know, a little bit of this. Yeah. A little bit of that. I was just going to say, it was the way that he also narrated it. It was just perfect. It was great. Ransom definitely went to the school of Kirk Fu. Ransom Fu, maybe we should be calling it. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Random Trek Review, a Star Trek review podcast. Yeah, the one you mentioned with Dr. Crusher is hilarious because it gets down to her and Captain Picard. And so it's like they have this giant galaxy class ship and there's just the two of them and he acts like it's a normal thing. And it's just absolutely ridiculous, right? Two people on that giant starship. And there's even the point where where she says, computer, how many personnel would it take to run this ship? And they're like 832 or something. And Picard's like, oh yeah, that is kind of weird, I guess. I thought we were just doing it, the two of us, you know, like that was pretty funny. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.